This is the Get Healthy 360 podcast, where we discuss topics related to your physical, mental, psychological, and spiritual health. Your host is Dr. Chris Ferguson, board certified in anesthesiology and pain management. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and you should consult your primary healthcare provider before making any decisions related to your health. And here's your host, Dr. Chris Ferguson. Oh, one more thing before we start. If you like this episode, please consider rating us five stars. We would really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Welcome to the Get Healthy 360 podcast. Today, we are talking with Dr. Bajawala. So what we're talking about is allergies. Specifically, we're focusing on kids. So eating really shouldn't cause fear, but a lot of people are fearful of, say, peanuts. I personally know a lot of people with, say, celiac disease or other food allergies. So hopefully we can get into that. Dr. Bajawala is the author of The Food Allergy Fix. I recommend you get that book. She's a board-certified allergist and immunologist. And what's interesting to me that I've never, I'm not familiar with at all, and I don't think a lot of other people are, is that allergies can be treated with oral food, but that's what we're talking about today. So Dr. Bajwal, thank you very much for joining. Thank you so much for having me. How did you get interested in allergy and immunology work? I've always had allergies uh, since I was a child, and my allergies were mainly environmental. But what appealed to me about allergy as a field is that number one, I would become more educated in things that affected me and my family personally, but also that allergy is a medical field which incorporates a bunch of different specialties together. You have a little bit of pulmonology, a little bit of dermatology, otolaryngology, gastroenterology, rheumatology, immunology, it's all together. And it lends itself towards a good amount of variety on a day-to-day basis. So I felt that pursuing allergy and immunology would allow me to constantly be challenged and interested in my work. So, and we're going to pretend that, say, there's a child who has a peanut allergy and he can't be around peanuts. So from some background for people who don't, aren't familiar with allergy and immunology, what exactly is the immune system and can you break it down for how, what is the immune system and how does it work? Sure. Um, The immune system is one of the most complex organ systems in the body, and it is comprised of cells, uh, molecular signaling molecules, and tissues throughout every part of the body that constantly surveil the internal and external environment protect us against those organisms or pathogens that we need to be protected against and also induce and maintain tolerance to those things that our immune system should largely be ignoring and allowing to fly under the radar. So it basically keeps us in balance, prevents us from reacting against ourselves, and keeps us from getting sick from those things that can make us sick. That's provided everything is functioning properly. So you're, you're an allergy and immunologist. My basic right. understanding of the immune system is your immune system fights off bugs and makes sure there's nothing weird growing in you. That's part of it, yeah. And what am I missing then? Well, the, the part that we're missing is the importance of the immune system in maintaining tolerance. And so that means in addition to creating an inflammatory response against those things that we want to fight off or a protective immune response against those things that we want to fight off, our immune system also needs to be able to recognize those things that are likely to be harmless to us and prevent 
itself from mounting an inflammatory reaction in response to exposure to those things. So for example, foods, mm -hmm. right? We eat a wide variety of foods on a daily basis, hopefully, and are exposed to hundreds and thousands of different proteins. We are not supposed to be reacting against those proteins. We're supposed to be allowing those proteins to enter the body and provide our nutrition without having an inflammatory response. But when the immune system, for lack of a better term, becomes confused and starts mounting an allergic or inflammatory response against these proteins that should be ignored, that's when you get allergy. In, another, in other words, an allergic response is really a hyperactive immune system. Yes, it is an overreaction on the part of the immune system to something that the immune system should actually be ignoring. You have, let's say, let's call him Johnny. You have a little child, his name's Johnny, and he's very allergic to peanuts. Pretty common. There's some classrooms that I think have banned peanuts. So you have a unique approach to treating allergies, and you discuss that. Sure. What we do in our practice is a treatment called food allergen desensitization. And essentially what we're attempting to do is retrain the immune system to tolerate a protein that it has mistakenly started reacting against. And the way we do this is by gradually introducing that protein back into the body, beginning with very, very tiny doses and incrementally increasing those doses over an extended period of time with the intention of inducing what's called energy or when the immune system allows that protein to fly under the radar without reacting. And what kind of success have you, have you seen with this response or this treatment? Um, my colleagues and I have seen remarkable success with this treatment. In my own practice, upwards of 90% of my patients who have elected to pursue this treatment have been able to continue on with the therapy, uh, enabling them to be safer from accidental exposures to their food allergens, and in many cases, allowing them to freely introduce that food into the diet. So I have kids now eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and Reese's peanut butter cups and Kung Pao chicken. So it definitely is something that works. That said, it is obviously not without risks. And so definitely that is something that we have a very honest and comprehensive discussion about because anytime you take something you're allergic to and you put it back into your body, you are taking on a defined risk of experiencing an allergic reaction. So we need to have lots of safety rules in place to reduce the risk of that occurring. And what type of allergies has this been successful for? Food allergen desensitization can theoretically be used to treat any, for any food allergy. Generally, the most common allergens that are treated include those dietary staples, such as peanuts, tree nuts, milk, eggs, soy, wheat. Uh, however, it is possible to desensitize to other allergens, such as seeds and coconuts and seafood and even others. Uh, you know, the, the limits are just based 
really on your ability to develop a protocol. But the protocol, the, this basic structure of the protocol for treating food allergies looks very similar regardless of allergen. Now, I almost hesitate in asking you this question, but I'm going, going to ask it anyway. But before I ask the question, I'm going to caution anyone listening to this. If you have a food allergy, you should work with someone who is an allergy and immunology specialist and do not do this on your own. Because as the good doctor said, this is a dangerous thing and you need a specific protocol. So again, if you're going to do this, do it with a qualified specialist. So having said that, can you give the broad strokes of how this desensitization program works? Sure. Um, I would once again echo your uh, cautionary statement. This is absolutely something that if not done under the direct supervision of someone who is an expert in the management of life-threatening allergic reactions or and who is an expert in immunomodulation can be deadly. So this is absolutely not a do-it-yourself project. So what I'll do in light of that is I'll kind of give the broad strokes as you mentioned. And in my practice, I'll use the example of someone who is exquisitely sensitive to peanut with very high peanut-specific IgE. IgE is an allergic antibody that mediates allergic reactions. Um, This is not the exact same protocol as everyone uses. There's differences amongst practices. But the way I treat these exquisitely sensitive patients is I start treating them with something called sublingual immunotherapy. And sublingual immunotherapy is drops that are administered under the surface of the tongue into the oral mucosa. And these drops are highly diluted liquid extracts of the food that we're treating to. So for peanut, for example, we would administer uh, a very small drop of a very dilute preparation of the peanut extract that would deliver a protein dose that's equivalent to one one millionth of a peanut. And that drop would be held under the surface of the tongue for approximately two minutes. And during those two minutes, immune cells that reside in the mouth will travel to that drop and essentially gobble up the proteins from within the drop and very quickly transport them back to the lymph nodes or glands that reside under your jaw and in your neck. And on the way back, they'll break down those proteins into tiny little pieces. Once those immune cells that have gobbled up the the peanut protein are safely within the lymph nodes, they will show those little pieces of protein to other white blood cells that live in the lymph nodes. And that will start a cascade of molecular signaling events, almost like playing a game of telephone, where one cell shows the protein to another cell that stimulates that cell to produce certain signaling molecules, which will eventually go down the line And that whole process will stimulate white blood cells that live in the bone marrow to start producing not allergic antibodies against the peanut, but protective antibodies against the peanut. 
Now, this happens on a very, very small scale because the amount of peanut allergen that we're introducing is so low. But that, you know, that whole process gets started within those first two minutes and continues on. And of course, after those two minutes, then you swallow. But that dose is given every day for approximately a week. And then you come back to the office and we increase the dose. And then that dose is given at home every day for a week. And then we increase the dose again. And in that fashion, we will increase the dose of peanut protein that is given under the surface of the tongue over the course of six months, beginning with that first dose that's approximately one one millionth of a peanut, and then ending with a dose that's approximately one two hundred fiftieth of a peanut. So even though the, the final doses are still very, very small, the ability of the patient to tolerate a substantially increased dose from their very first dose, that has been very effective. Once that six-month protocol of the drops under the tongue or the sublingual immunotherapy is complete, that patient has built up enough protective antibody to begin treatment with oral immunotherapy or oral desensitization. At that point, we're no longer using extracts of peanut under the surface of the tongue. Now we're actually making solutions of actual peanut flour, mixing it with water and creating dilutions of those which will actually be ingested or swallowed. And we start with very low doses of that as well. In fact, the dose, the initial doses of oral immunotherapy are actually lower than the final doses of sublingual immunotherapy. But over the course of one long day of treatment, those doses increase every 15 minutes or so to go up to and then surpass that last dose of sublingual immunotherapy. So in my protocol, the final dose of peanut oral immunotherapy on that day one will be approximately one one hundredth of a peanut. We'll watch the patient for a whole hour after that final dose is given and provided everything is going well, we'll send them home with uh, the appropriate solutions for them to continue giving that dose at home every day for approximately two weeks. And then they'll keep coming back to the office every two weeks or so to gradually increase those doses. That process will go on for a few months in liquid form, and that'll take them from approximately one one hundredth of a peanut to one tenth of a peanut. Then we'll transition to precisely measured capsules of peanut flour, um, and they'll open up the capsules and dump the peanut flour into some food vehicle of choice, whether it's yogurt, oatmeal, applesauce, and that they'll just eat it. And they'll dose with capsules once a day for a few weeks at each dose. And those various capsules will take that patient up from approximately one-tenth of a peanut to half of a peanut. And at that point, we're ready to start dosing with peanut fragments themselves. So we'll do half a peanut, then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten, twelve. And then once the patient has been tolerating 12 peanuts a day for at least a month, 
will bring them back to the office to do what's called a 24 peanut challenge. And the patient will consume six peanuts, wait another 10 minutes, have another six, then another six, then another six, and we'll watch them for a whole hour to make sure everything is fine. And provided that 24 peanut challenge is passed, that patient is considered to be graduated from the program, and they are then instructed to continue consuming at least around eight peanuts a day to maintain that desensitization long-term. So there, there are risks with all, everything that we do has risks. So if you're going to eat a sandwich, you may choke on the sandwich and theoretically you could die from choking on the sandwich. Like everything has risks. What are the risks of this protocol? Primary risk that we're always concerned about with any form of food allergen treatment is that the patient will experience an acute and immediate reaction to their dose. And allergic reactions can range in severity from very mild symptoms, such as a little bit of itching in the throat, uh, maybe mild hives, stomach ache, but can also progress up to and including a very serious allergic reaction that's called anaphylaxis. Anaphylaxis is when the body is experiencing a multi-system allergic reaction that comes on very quickly and is life-threatening. This can include symptoms of severe respiratory distress, uh, swelling of the airways, a sudden drop in blood pressure, and if not treated promptly, anaphylaxis can result in death. Luckily, there have not been cases documented of immediate reactions to food allergen desensitization therapy resulting in death. However, theoretically, the possibility is still very real. And that is why it's so essential to only pursue a therapy like this under the direct supervision of a board-certified allergist who really has experience in this type of immunomodulation. But the other risk is if you don't go through this desensitization therapy and someone, say, is exposed to peanuts or whatever allergy they happen to be allergic to, they just as easily could undergo that allergic reaction and they're not being monitored. So that's also a huge risk as well. The risk of not doing anything, I would say, is very large. And, and that's why people choose to pursue this therapy, because there is a real risk of experiencing reactions to accidental exposure to your food allergen, kind of what we say out in the field and in an uncontrolled situation. And that is the risk that we're trying to mitigate by doing food allergen desensitization. Essentially, the trade-off is this. With successful food allergen desensitization, you are purposefully choosing to take on a small risk of experiencing an allergic reaction to your dose, which would be a well-defined dose taken in a very controlled setting to offset the risk of experiencing an allergic reaction out in your daily life to an uncontrolled or undefined amount of food allergen taken in an uncontrolled setting outside of medical supervision. And that's the trade-off that we're making. There are studies that show that 
when you look at the actual risk of experiencing an allergic reaction, those patients who are practicing strict avoidance actually do have fewer allergic reactions than those patients who are pursuing desensitization. However, when you reanalyze that type of data and look at the rate of allergic reactions as a function of the number of exposures, those patients who are pursuing desensitization actually have a lower rate of reaction per known exposure. And what did you say your success rate was with this treatment? Our personal success rate in my clinic is right in the the 90th percentile. So we're looking between 90 and 95% success rate, which we define as patients who are able to continue dosing with their allergen on a regular basis, affording them some protection against accidental exposure. What happens if someone becomes desensitized to peanuts? They can eat the eight peanuts a day, but then they, for some reason, don't have access to peanuts or they're traveling and they just don't have peanuts for a month. Do they relapse? It's possible if it was a period as long as one month that that patient might need to start dosing again with a much smaller dose and build back up. A month is a pretty long time to go without desensitization. And our general expectation post-graduation is that our patients will at least attempt to continue dosing on a daily basis because this is an exposure-based therapy. And you can't expect an exposure-based therapy to continue working if you stop exposing the patient. That said, short lapses in treatment, kind of one day to three or four days, usually do not result in a loss of desensitization and simply require a temporary dose adjustment. And this is something that happens all the time. So many patients, you know, because of our safety rules, we do not permit dosing in the context of acute illness or with a fever or when your asthma is flaring up. Also, I don't have my patients dose in the first 24 hours after any sort of immune stimulating event. So if they receive vaccines or they're on antibiotics, that first 24 hour of antibiotics, we don't have patients dose. Also, in the first 24 hours after having any dental work, I don't have my patients dose because their gums might be cut up just from a normal dental cleaning. And so we have these temporary lapses in dosing on a regular basis, and it really doesn't impact therapy. An extended lapse would require consultation with your allergist and immunologist to determine the safest way to reintroduce the allergen. And usually at that point, it would be done under medical supervision. Would this also work for, say, ragweed, pollen, summer allergies as well? Absolutely. And that's where the conceptual framework for food allergen desensitization originated. In fact, desensitization to pollens and indoor allergens such as animal dander, dust mite, mold, this type of environmental allergen desensitization has been in place for over a century. And it's very well established with plenty of literature to support its efficacy. And so the thought was, well, if we're able to successfully desensitize our patients 
against environmental allergens, why can't we use that same framework of immunomodulation to desensitize our patients against their food allergens, which arguably may be significantly more impactful to their safety and quality of life? And so that's where this process got started. Now, most environmental desensitization is, at, in, at least in the United States, is administered via injection or what we call subcutaneous environmental immunotherapy or what's commonly known as allergy shots. However, it has not at this time been deemed safe to pursue food allergen desensitization using injection therapy, which is why we use sublingual and oral immunotherapy for foods. And how common is this oral desensitization therapy? It's becoming increasingly available. Um, When I started offering this therapy in 2011, there were only a handful of doctors around the world who did it. But we've now progressed to such a point where there are well over 100 allergists and immunologists offering this therapy throughout the United States, uh, Europe, Asia, and even in South Africa. And so we're establishing a very robust network of people who have subspecialization in this treatment. That said, it can still be uh, inconvenient and challenging for patients to obtain this therapy close to home. Uh, And so our goal is, of course, that all patients with life-threatening food allergies will one day be able to obtain this therapy within their own communities, which will enable them to not have to travel long distances to obtain therapy for their families. And we'll include all of your contact information in the show notes, but where is your office located? My office is located in the western suburbs of Chicago in a city uh, called North Aurora. And if someone is, say, very far from that or they're in another country, what's the best way for them to find an allergy immunologist who does this type of therapy? There are a number of online resources which can refer you to uh, board-certified allergists who are skilled in food allergen desensitization. One of them is a website called OIT. 101.org. And another one is a Facebook group called Food Allergy Treatment Talk. Um, There is another Facebook group called Sublingual Immunotherapy for Food Allergies. And so, you know, if you search around, you'll find quite a few resources. None of these resources are fully comprehensive. So you're going to get, you know, the, the best kind of broad base by looking at multiple resources. But another way to do this is just to talk to your own allergist and immunologist and express your interest in at least learning more about this therapy. And your own allergist may have contacts locally, which may up to until now not even be publicized. So, you know, talking to your own allergist is a great first start. And of course, taking advantage of online resources is another way to do it. 
Any closing thoughts or anything else that I, you think people should know about what you do? Um, I would say that professionally, offering my patients food allergen desensitization has probably been the most gratifying professional decision I've made. It's really offered me the opportunity to offer life-changing treatment to my patients. That said, I always want to emphasize to people that this type of therapy is absolutely elective in nature. There's no compulsion in pursuing this, and it is 100% okay to say, you know, this just isn't for me, and avoidance is working for us and our family, and we feel that we can manage it and keep our child safe with avoidance of our allergen, and no one would ever fault you for that. You know, when you're making the decision to pursue food allergen desensitization, it should be because the impact to your quality of life living with food allergies is such that you feel that taking the edge off of that allergy and making yourself safer would substantially improve your quality of life. And so this sort of therapy is best suited for those people who say, listen, I'm having a lot of reactions. I'm ending up in the ER a lot. I feel very limited by my food allergies. I can't do the things that I want to do, or I feel paralyzed by fear, right? In those scenarios, Pursuing food allergen desensitization makes a lot of sense. But if you have someone who's saying, well, you know, yeah, I have this peanut allergy, but I've lived with it my whole life and I'm doing pretty well and I'm still doing the things that I want to do and I'm not having frequent reactions, well, then you may decide that the, the risk that you take on by doing food allergen desensitization therapy and the time commitment and costs associated with it might not be worth it, right? The return on investment might not be enough to justify kind of changing your lifestyle for it. So it's really a very personalized decision. And we always want to emphasize to our patients that we will support them regardless of what sort of management option for their food allergies they want to choose. As a parent, if if my child had a severe food allergy, I think from just, I'm speaking just for myself, the risk of have especially if it was a severe reaction, the risk of accidental exposure, I think, is just high. You can't really depend on restaurants to keep your child safe. It's a busy kitchen staff, or someone else, someone else's child bringing whatever it is they're allergic to into the classroom. So I think this is this is a very worthwhile conversation, and I'm glad that I'm very very happy this type of desensitization therapy is available versus having to walk around with an EpiPen where you're going to have to inject yourself or you're going to have to be on steroids, et cetera. Yeah, it, it, and that's why we offer it. I will say, though, that even for our patients who successfully complete food allergen immunotherapy, we still have them carry their EpiPens. Uh, this therapy is a management strategy. We don't consider it to be a cure which means that even if you have gone through the whole protocol and you're successfully eating your allergen on a daily basis, we still technically consider you to be allergic. And so we want to make sure that you have emergency life-saving medicine available to you at all times. 
I think that's an excellent point. And that is why, again, I'm going to emphasize in closing that while Dr. Bajawala discussed the protocol, this is not something you should do on your own. This is, I would recommend, strongly recommend you speak to a qualified allergist and immunologist with a lot of experience dealing with this type of therapy. We'll include all of Dr. Bajawala's professional contact information and social media links in the show notes for anyone who's interested in therapy. So Dr. Bajawala, thank you very much for taking the time to educate everyone on this, I think, very life, potentially life-changing therapy. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a comment on the Get Healthy 360 Facebook page and consider subscribing to this podcast. Thanks.